I'm Ben Forrest. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chords Cast. I'm Alyssa Mendel, and today I have with me a very special group from the Kennedy's Disease Association. I have Chris Grunzik, Terry Thompson, Jameson Parker, and Ed Meyerthal, and they're going to tell us a little bit more about Kennedy's disease, uh, the foundation, and some of the research that's going on with this. Uh, so to start us off, guys, Terry, could you just give the audience you know, a little background on your connection to the rare disease community? Yeah, thanks, Alyssa. I think I'm probably, in fact, I know I'm the newest uh, guy on the team here on this call and one of the newest um, members of the board of directors for the Kennedy's Disease Association. Uh, I do not have Kennedy's disease, but it's in my family. Uh, My wife is a carrier of the gene mutation. Our oldest son has been diagnosed um, or has had the test to uh, show that he is a KD uh, person. Our youngest son has not been tested yet. Um, so it's in our family and I'm very uh, passionate about trying to help people that have Kennedy's disease. As you'll hear more about it from from Chris um, and Ed and Jameson, it is a uh, an extremely uh, debilitating disease. It progresses very slowly over time. Um, and uh, But when it does progress, uh, it becomes a very serious disease for the people who have it. So my involvement really got uh, became part of my wife Kathy's um, engagement. She's been on the KDA board for several years and has been organizing the annual KDA conference for the past few years. Um, and the last two years, 20 and 2020 and 2021, we had our conferences online and uh, I supported her in that. And uh, as a result, Uh, Jameson and some of the other members of the board asked me if I would join the association's board and actually elected me as as president. Um, And so I'm trying to both run the organization and learn a lot about uh, Kennedy's disease and SBMA as we uh, as we go along. So that's kind of my background. Sounds like you carry uh, quite the different roles there with the foundation too so thank you for that and I do want to jump in later on too to learn more about this condition Ed would you be able to also just let everybody know your connection to the rare disease community and also why did you decide to become an advocate for this condition well I have Katie I've known her for about 23 years now Mm. um my Right at about that time is when the KDA started. Okay. 
And um, I was a biologist by training. I was a, I taught at colleges. Hmm. And I realized two things. One is that I wasn't very progressed with the disease when I was diagnosed. So I thought that was kind of rare. Was, I got diagnosed because I had a cousin who had it. Okay. And because I was a biologist, I was very interested in the disease. So I kind of tried to find out some place where I can help, either as a patient or by um, uh, raising money. And that's the KDA kind of did both of those. Um, so I've been part of the board for a few years, for about 10 years or so. Um, I'm now the... Um, liaison between the research um, committee and the board of directors, which is kind of just an in-between, because I'm retired from the okay. board, thank goodness. Um, and I, you know, knowing that I had it, I was just very interested in trying to get, uh, to, you know, to find a treatment for the disease. I think it's pretty, when you have it, I think it's mm -hmm. something you just want to know. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I'm I'm curious, Ed. You mentioned that you found out you had it through a cousin. Did were you showing any symptoms before that? I didn't know I was. I never yeah. heard of it. I got a call, and uh, you know, I came home from a class. I got a call from my sister that my cousin was diagnosed with this disease, Kennedy's disease. I knew nothing about it. No one had ever heard of it before in the family. I mm -hmm. looked it up online, and uh, Terry Wait had a website and that's the person who found in the KDA. So this is a little bit before that. Hmm. And that had information on it. And as I began to read about some of the signs, I had no signs. I had a little bit of tremors. I would have fasciculations. I had cramping that was very weird. And as soon as I kind of read that, I said, my goodness, I have this. I was confident. But it, it, I had, it had not affected my life at all at that point. Wow, that's interesting. Hmm. I, I do want to jump more into this condition too later on. So, Jameson, would you, what is, you know, similar question, what is your connection to the rare disease community and your reasoning for becoming an advocate? Well, I have a very similar story to Ed in that it was my cousin who was first diagnosed. Okay. Uh, and when the information was shared with us, and I looked at the list of symptoms, like Ed, it was like, oh, yeah. Even though I wasn't diagnosed, it was like, check, 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 I got these things. Um, so I uh, did get tested soon after that and, and was positive uh, with KD. Um, and a lot of guys who get diagnosed with KD usually have to go through quite a, a terrible process um, because it, it's, it is a rare condition. Mm -hmm. And um, when they start showing symptoms, which is usually later in life, when they start showing symptoms, um, they get diagnosed with everything from ALS to all these other things. And, and a lot of times they have trouble, unless there's somebody that's specifically looking for the, the, uh, some of the unique symptoms of KD. Uh, they don't know to test for it, uh, for the genetics of it. So my cousin had to go through that, that multi-year process to get diagnosed. Uh, but once he, once he was, it was um, 
shared with the family, fortunately. Okay. And so we knew what was going on pretty early on. Wow. Okay. So sim- yeah, that is kind of similar to Ed. And I guess same question to you, Jameson. Were you having symptoms that you thought were concerning before you found out your cousin had this? So there are a few times like I'd be jogging a, a couple miles and, and I'd feel some fatigue and I'd tell my doctor about it and he'd be like, oh, well, that's just, you know, it's because you're getting older. Ah. Kind of thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? Okay, I, I guess. I mean, but I, and, and a few other symptoms, minor symptoms like uh, stipulations and, and cramping. Uh, but for the most part, minor, minor symptoms that, uh, you know, is, are pretty common for guys early on. Okay. Interesting. Alyssa, if I could just pick up on that point. We did last summer a um, patient stories video where we had uh, 10 different KD men from six countries talk about various aspects of the disease, including their diagnosis story. And I would say um, the story that Ed and Jameson told about learning about it through a relative was true for about half of those men. The other half went through a very long process, as Jameson said, being misdiagnosed with all sorts of things and uh, and basically stumped the medical community um, until they finally found the one neurologist uh, who understood what Kennedy's disease was, gave them the uh, genetic test and uh, and diagnosed them positively with KD. But this is a a pretty um, common occurrence uh, where you either learn about it through a relative that's had it and been diagnosed, or you don't and go through a long process until you finally get the right diagnosis. Mm, that's interesting. So, hey, I'm gonna add my, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I was going to add, I mean, my cousin did the exact same thing. It took about six months for the diagnosis, and he's initially diagnosed with ALS. Uh, so it's almost a relief when you find out that it's not ALS. Yeah, yeah, I could see that too. It's that diagnostic odyssey, it sounds like, where there's some misdiagnoses and just that long journey to getting a diagnosis that I hear about in the rare community sometimes. Uh, Chris, what is your connection to the rare disease community? And also, how did you become an advocate for it? I'm a neurologist um, by training, and I started my uh, training um, as a clinical fellow and had the opportunity to participate in a number of different uh, clinical studies that evaluated patients with SBMA and tested candidate therapeutics uh, for the disease. Um, And now as a staff clinician, I continue um, to do that. Um, We see patients um, with SBMA in our clinic. We offer patients diagnostic testing if they have not already had uh, the genetic test. And then we test candidate therapies um, to better understand what therapies work and which ones do not. Um, We also do a lot of studies in the lab to better understand how the disease is damaging the muscle Mm -hmm. and the spinal cord. Um, And we hope that we can identify a therapy in the future that would slow the disease progression or perhaps make the patients even stronger. Okay, wow, that's fascinating. And I heard you say SBMA. For those listening that might not know what this is, what does that stand for? So that stands for spinal bulbar muscular atrophy. Okay, and then I always hear too, Kennedy's disease, is that the same thing or are they different? Yes, it's a disease that has many uh, different names, um, Okay. but 
Yes, they're both names mean the same. Both the same, yeah, okay. And then I've heard both Jameson and Ed, they touched on some of the symptoms. Jameson, what are some other symptoms of Kennedy's disease? The most uh, pronounced symptom that um, that men with KD have is uh, it's a it's a motor neuron disease and it really hits the uh, the muscles like the legs, uh, core muscles, arms, um, speech and and, and face. Uh, so over time, these muscles are slowly weakening, and so it becomes challenging to do things uh, like walking or. Or, or lifting things, um, and, and even just like um, uh, everyday activities. As the disease progresses, it just becomes more and more difficult to do everyday activities. Okay. And out of curiosity, what is the average age of diagnose of someone being diagnosed with this? That I mean, question for anybody who might know. It's usually in the uh, mid forties okay. age. Mm-hmm. And when do symptoms typically start, Chris? Um, they can start years before um, someone is diagnosed. Um, the earliest that we've seen someone present uh, with weakness is age 18. Okay. Um, but some patients uh, present with weakness you know, on into their 60s. So there is variation um, in terms of the onset. But I would say most patients initially have some weakness in their 30s and 40s. And then, Chris, does this condition affect males only, or do females have this too? So females are carriers. Um, They can have symptoms. Um, The symptoms are not nearly as severe as the males with the disease. Um, The females can have cramping and um, sensory symptoms. Mm. Um, But um, usually the females do not have weakness, muscle atrophy, muscle loss. Um, But the muscle findings, the weakness, are usually only occur um, in males. Okay, so it sounds like the more intense symptoms are predominantly in ma- men. Okay. Terry, uh, oh, Alyssa, yeah, go ahead, I could Terry. just add, the, the main concern for, for women who are carriers of um, SBMA is in uh, family planning. Okay. Um, and women like my wife, who didn't know they had this genetic mutation until they had their children, you know, there's not much they can do except be supportive and try to help with uh, with the KDA and, and be supportive of other women who are carriers um, who might experience some symptoms or be in a similar situation. But women who, um, who's, for example, whose father may have had KD and are of childbearing age become very concerned about how they can do family planning to ensure that their children uh, don't end up with Kennedy's disease. And so that's a very active discussion that we have among our carriers group. We have an online carrier support group that meets every month. Uh, and it's just been expanded to uh, several countries overseas as well as in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, and these are the kinds of issues that come up. Family planning for the um, women who are of childbearing age and who might have uh, the, the uh, genetic mutation and then for the women whose children are already growing or have grown and who may have KD, um, there's another issue and that is these, especially younger men in the 40s, like our oldest son is in his 40s, they really don't want to talk about it. You know, it's like, uh, let's wait until um, I really have to deal with it or 
maybe there's some research that's going to generate some therapies or a cure for this disease by the time it gets too bad for me. But that's a live issue for our carriers, um, who, the women who have had their children and were later diagnosed with, uh, with KD. Wow, it sounds like there's a lot that goes into this too and just a lot of information to be shared with carriers and those who have this condition. Um, I know too firsthand that the Kennedy's Disease Association has done a lot of work raising awareness, research, and campaigning. And Terry, could you just tell me a little bit more about the foundation and what, what is it that your guys' mission is? Sure, absolutely, Alyssa. Um, let me go back and, and talk about uh, the difference between the names. Uh, first of all, uh, Dr. William Kennedy, um, for whom this disease was named, is the physician in Minnesota who first identified the symptoms of KD back in the 1960s. Uh, the genetic mutation that causes Kennedy's disease, or SPMA, was discovered in the 1990s. And, and since that time, there have been like 30 or so therapies that have been effective in treating mm. SPMA in mice or other animal models, but not in people. And so our job is to, uh, in the KDA, is to uh, help inform the public um, and also the medical community that might not be familiar with it uh, about uh, Kennedy's disease to uh, increase awareness uh, about what it means and educate people on this is not ALS, but it's still a debilitating disease. You'll see KD men in their 40s and 50s and 60s that have to be use wheelchairs or you know have a lot of mobility problems. Um, and then to raise funds for research. Uh, there is a global research community. Chris is at the National Institutes of Health. That's the one of the main centers in the U.S., but there are other centers in the U.S. Uh, there is major research ongoing in Japan, um, in the mm -hmm. United Kingdom, in France, in Italy, Australia, and probably a few other countries uh, that we don't I don't fully know about yet. Mm -hmm. But what we do is try to raise money for research grants for uh, researchers and clinicians in those different centers uh, and major universities to uh, continue research and try to find therapies that work. Uh, and so in the last five or six years, we've raised about $1.6 million wow. and, um, and provided that to uh, the research community. This year, for the first time, we are able to offer not only research grants, but a fellowship for a, a junior researcher or a clinician to spend uh, a whole year looking at Kennedy's disease. And that's a very important contribution in addition, I think, to our arsenal of the kind of support that we like to provide. Wow, you guys are really doing a lot of amazing work. Congratulations, too, on some of the funding that you're able to come up with. That That's really fascinating. Chris? Yeah, our, yeah. our fundraising uh, uh, exercise right now, we just completed the 10th annual golf scramble down oh. in Texas. And uh, in about 10 days, we're starting our major fundraiser for this year in collaboration with our partner uh, advocacy group in the UK called KDUK. And that's the Great Road Trip, which is a 6,600-mile transcontinental journey from Los Angeles, California to Rome, Italy. Uh, it's going to cross the United States for the month of April and May, and then get on a ship and go back to England and be... Uh, you know, the great road trip will continue in England and then down through France and into Italy 
where it will conclude. Uh, our goal is to raise about $150,000 uh, just off this event alone, and, and so far we're doing quite well. That's a really clever idea, Terry. If somebody wanted to contribute to that campaign, where could they get more information about that? Best place is to go to the website that we created just for the Great Road Trip. It's just called thegreatroadtrip.net. Okay. Uh, and if you Google that or search it on your favorite search engine, you should find our website. And there's a donation uh, link on that website. Okay, seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, thank you. Chris, as a researcher, uh, you know, Terry was mentioning some of the research that's being done. What is something that would be helpful to researchers that you could think of for th th that patients and families should know about? Yeah, thank you, Melissa. So um, it's really important for patients and families to be aware of research that's taking place um, for SBMA. Um, there are a number of groups throughout the world um, that are doing research on the disease, and it's important to learn about what opportunities there are for participating in research in their area. Um, some of these studies are enrolling patients um, with SBMA or hope to enroll uh, patients soon. And it's important to be aware of what types of research are, are being done um, by these organizations and to learn enough uh, to decide whether or not it's something that you'd be interested in participating in. And so the research um, depends on um, participation of patients. There's only so much that can be done, you know, at the bench in the laboratory without the patient's engagement. But to know whether or not these drugs work, to better understand how the disease affects patients, um, we really need that patient participation. Uh, and that's really crucial uh, for testing the drugs, knowing whether or not, you know, they're working. And then, you know, answering the question, uh, if, it, if the drug works, then we'll have an answer sooner rather than later. And that's really important uh, for helping us arrive at, you know, a safe and effective therapy as soon as possible. And Chris, you all are conducting a couple of very important studies at NIH. Yes, yes, we're working with a lot of groups, um, you know, across the world um, to try to identify candidate therapies. Um, we have a number of exciting um, collaborations underway and hope to um, be enrolling patients for some of these interventional studies in the near future. Right, and that uh, may, uh, Alyssa, bring us back to the why we're having this podcast with CORDS and why we're so um, uh, interested in CORDS and why you all are such a valuable partner to us. Uh, I mentioned that our annual conferences in 2020 and 2021 were held online. One of the main uh, takeaways from the 2020 conference was the need for a patient registry mm -hmm. because from time to time we hear about um, pharmaceutical companies who have a new therapy that they'd like to try. Um, we know a couple that are planning for clinical trials in the next year or two. And so patient recruitment, as Chris mentioned, is always a big issue. And so after the 2020 meeting, uh, Jameson took the lead and uh, put together a team that uh, looked at different options for patient registries and um, recommended to our board and we approved um, courts as the home for the KD SBMA patient registry. Then um, Chris and Ed and Jameson and I worked on the uh, questionnaire, but mostly this was uh, Chris and Ed, worked on the questionnaire that you see in the courts registry today 
for SPMA and um, Kennedy's disease. It's the same questionnaire. And we've recently had this translated into Italian, Japanese, and French in the hopes that uh, patients in those communities would be able to enroll in the registry as well. As of today, which is early April, okay, <laughs> we have 299 people signed up. So we're just about ready to break through the 300 patient threshold, which is really, I think, important for studies that uh, Chris and other researchers are doing. And uh, we are so uh, pleased to be working with you all and to get the great support that we've gotten. Uh, thanks for your help. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a perfect explanation of why it's important to enroll in a registry like CORDS, because the other caveat to that, too, is that people can become aware of clinical trials or studies, such as what Chris was talking about, too. And as you mentioned, you know, the more participation, um, the more that can be known about this condition. Um, Ed, I was thinking, too, if you could give some advice to patients or families when they receive a diagnosis, what advice would you give? I know we heard getting involved in research is important and enrolling in a registry such as CORDS, but is there anything else that you would want to share with people who would receive this diagnosis? Personally, I think the one thing that I have found me helpful was I'm trying to keep as active as possible. Um, I was lucky that I was diagnosed early, so I didn't have muscle weakness, at least not much, that I could notice. But because of that, I started exercising much more than I had before. And I felt that that's, you know, I, I have no idea how that affected progression, but I do know that my cardiac health, for example, is very good because of this. And I think that's one of the things that when you become a, when you have a disease where you can't move around as well, you don't exercise as much and you tend to then have secondary diseases that are due to the lack of activity, so mm -hmm. cardiovascular issues or diabetes. And so the one thing I would try to, you know, from my experience is uh, to stay as active as possible. And the other thing is to realize and again, this is something that I thought of when I was first diagnosed, especially since my cousin was initially diagnosed with ALS, was that if you're going to have a disease that's going to destroy your muscles, this is a pretty good one to have because it's very slow. Mm. Um, and it doesn't affect your mind. It doesn't affect your cognition. Uh, so although there are certainly bad things, you certainly don't want to be in a wheelchair and that certainly hampers. I, in my mind, uh, you know, I'm kind of a half glass full person. I realize it could be much worse. Okay. I'd love to add to to what Ed mm -hmm. uh, is saying. Um, if when people are newly diagnosed, I highly, highly encourage them get connected. Mm -hmm. Come to one of our our conferences. Uh, connect with other men that have KD. It's hard to find people with KD. You're not going to find support groups in your local town because it's such a rare condition. Uh, but for me, when I was first diagnosed, even though there was some information out there um, about the disease, I still didn't really understand what it meant, what it, the impact was going to be on my future. I attended a KDA conference, and it just opened up my eyes and it gave me hope for the future because uh, I saw a whole bunch of 
uh, older gentlemen that were still doing things. They were still active. They were still um, you know, involved in their community or working. Or um, and, and I realized, okay, this is not going to be a death sentence. This is something that I can learn to manage and uh, adjust my life but still live a full uh, life. And uh, I, I look at the guys that are, are on this uh, podcast and and we have a history together. Mm-hmm. We go we go back years at this point. Dr. Greensick, I mean, we've, you've been attending our conferences and, and when we've known you. And, and Ed, I mean, they, he has been um, uh, the, the teacher of, of our community for, for years and years, informing people of, of uh, the basic biology of this in a language everyone can understand. And, and Terry and the Thompsons have just been like, cornerstone in our organization and whenever i attend these meetings it's like being around family mm. and it is uh, has made the journey so much easier so i just encourage people if you're diagnosed with this get connected i think that's really inspiring listening to both you and ed just share the positive outlook too and how just the encouragement that you guys give to others that may have this. I can speak to from working with all four of you too. You guys are amazing to work with and very supportive and doing so much for this community. It's really wonderful. Jameson too, you mentioned that people should get connected. So if somebody did want to get connected to KDA, how could they get a hold of you guys? Is there a website, an email or any, where would they be able to get in touch? We do. If you do a, a Google search for Kennedy's disease, I think the KDA is, is one of the first hits. It's certainly in the top three. Okay. Um, so you can find out about things that are going on on our website. Uh, we have a yearly conference. Even with COVID, we never missed a conference, uh, whether it was virtual or live. This year, I'm glad to say that we're going to be live, uh, but we will have a virtual component as well. Um, there's also a uh, face group. Uh, actually, a couple Facebook group, um, KDA groups that you can connect with um, that are active. There are men asking each other and families asking each other questions. Uh, so there's actually a lot of avenues at this point that's, that that um, are, were not available, um, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Alyssa, uh, people can also send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at kennedysdisease.org. Okay. Kennedy's disease, no spaces, no punctuation. Okay. Info at kennedysdisease.org is our email. Okay, perfect. Um, before we conclude here today, I just want to ask all four of you, is there anything else that you feel listeners should know about or anything you'd want to share? Um, Ed, I'll start with you. Is there anything uh-huh. else that you feel like people should know about or anything you want to tell? I think I just go back that you want to, I think it's important to have a positive outlook. Um, it's when you go to a Kennedy's disease meeting and you meet the other men who have the disease, it's amazing. It certainly was for me about how, I don't know if positive is the word, but I use that how positive everyone was. It, was, it wasn't, you know, it was like, it's something you look forward to, to meet all the guys again. Um, and I think that's important for both your your sanity and your mental health to have a positive outlook. 
And it seems to me that the men do a very good job. Yeah, that's good. Chris, is there anything you would like to add or let anybody know? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a really um, good time to be doing a testing of therapeutics um, for rare diseases like SBMA right now. Um, there are a lot more uh, scientists, um, researchers uh, that are able to conduct studies, patients with Kennedy's disease. Um, we have more companies um, that are developing candidate therapies that are interested in working um, with us um, to test therapies. So I think the prospect of developing a therapy for the disease um, looks bright and um, we need you know, participation of patients and families in order for us um, to do this next stage of, of therapeutics testing. And uh, I think that the science um, looks really promising and really excited uh, to do these studies in the future. Good, that's good. Jameson, anything you'd like to add? I remember at my first conference, one of the guys said to me, you know what? Life doesn't end when you're in a wheelchair. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there's, there's still things that we can do. Like Ed was saying, Kennedy's disease does not affect the cognition. Uh, so there's still a lot that we can do, a lot that we can contribute, a lot of life to live. That's great. That's good. Those are good words. And Terry, any final remarks from you? Thanks, Alyssa. I'll just go back to where I started. I'm the new guy on the team here, and uh, I am just uh, so grateful to Chris and Ed and Jameson for everything that they've taught me and all the help that they're providing me to understand Kennedy's disease and what we can do better as KDA and also working with our patient community. Um, Ed, as, as Jameson said, is always uh, willing to talk about the disease to explain it in terms that even I could understand as a non-scientist. Um, Jameson, who I think you've probably recognized just as I do, is I think our best spokesman for the Kennedy's Disease Association. And he always has such a positive attitude to share with people. And so I'm extremely grateful to these men uh, for all the work that they're doing for us. And uh, I really want to thank them for joining us on the podcast today. And as I said earlier, thank courts for mm. the for making your um, patient registry, your rare disease uh, registry available. And I know a couple of researchers have made uh, queries of the data, and I just uh, expect that to grow and expand as more people learn about it and we get more um, people to enter their data into the KDSBMA boards registry. So thank you very much. Yeah, of course. And I want to thank you guys again for jumping on and sharing more about Kennedy's disease and the association. Um, I thank you guys for all that you do, not just for those with Kennedy's disease, but just the rare community as a whole. So it's great to work with you guys. So thank you again. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Quartzcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Cords Cast.